Our sermon passage is in Matthew chapter 5. We're going to read the Beatitudes, Matthew 5, 1 through 12. So we're beginning the Sermon on the Mount, and if you've never read it straight through, I would encourage you to do that. It's just chapters 5 through 7. It's one of the more famous parts of Jesus' teaching. And if you've, especially if you've never read it in one sitting, I would encourage you to read it, try and put connections together. And if you have questions, please, you know, email me, text me. I'd love to hear your thoughts. Um, yeah, the, the Sermon on the Mount is one of those places where Jesus goes going after our need for grace, but also our need that, that it's good news as he shows us how to follow him. And so let's read. We'll read this and then we'll get started. It's Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 12. Hear God's word. Seeing the crowds, Jesus went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And this is God's word. It's completely true and trustworthy and given to us in love. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we ask now that your kingdom would come and your will would be done in our lives as it is in heaven. And ask that you would send your teacher, your Holy Spirit, to show us once again that we have been given every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And uh, so even as we hear that, we need to pray, Lord, we believe, help our unbelief. And so we ask that you would do that this morning as we study Christ's teaching, and we pray all these things for his glory and our good. In Jesus' name, amen. So we just read Jesus' description of the good life. Right, now, I'm assuming that none of those characteristics were on your bucket list of, I want to mourn, I want to be persecuted. I'm meek, I'm humble, and I know nice guys finish last. <laughs> right, or being hungry and thirsty, or even being a peacemaker, right? You're going to be involved in conflict. Nobody goes looking for that. And yet, according to Jesus, this is, this is the blessed life. This is the good life. This is, this is what the Christian life is. He's giving you a very clear description of all different aspects of one, one life. The Christian life, those who are blessed, that would be Christians. And the hard part for us as Westerners, as Americans, as people who think about being blessed, we don't think about being blessed in terms of character, we think of our circumstances. I mean, to the point where it's just this ridiculous movement on Twitter, hashtag blessed, where you just get to brag about how great your life is. 
I mean, it's, some of it has calmed down. Maybe if you, if you don't tweet, that's fine. I'm going to share it with you whether you want to or not. <laughs> All right, it's just, it's just how we think, that God blessed me because I got into the school I wanted. Or as one lady put it, I'm, I'm teaching in the Caribbean. Uh, I picked this not because of Brian. <laughs> She's going to do yoga, right? Hashtag blessed. Or we, they'll, they'll post pictures of that special person in their life and say, God has blessed me, or their family, or their kids. Or athletes will say, after their, some amazing accomplishment, God's blessed me. Or I won an Oscar. You know, I'm blessed. And it got so bad, as one comedian said, I caught my bacon just before it caught the ground. <laughs> Hashtag blessed. <laughs> and... If you think about that, if that is the good life, how do people who are not living that picture of the good life, how do they feel? Cursed. And so as we come to the Beatitudes and think about what does it mean to be the blessed ones, we have to, Jesus obviously is meaning something different than our circumstances and our comfort is, is going well. It is a blessing. Every good gift comes from God, and that is true. But we've morphed it into a, a humble way of bragging. <laughs> All right? And so what Jesus means by being blessed, he's saying that you can have, or as a Christian, you do have a happiness, a joy that is not dependent on your circumstances, on the, on the success of your life. You have a happiness that doesn't depend on you, nor your circumstances. And this is the good life, according to Jesus. You have the kingdom of heaven. And he's going to work all this out. All right, a happy life means you're poor in spirit, you're mourning, you're meek, you're bullied for Christ's sake, you're hungry and thirsty, you're almost obsessive over being perfect, you're hungry and thirsty for righteousness. It's not our idea of naturally what we think being blessed is, and yet this is what we're called to think about. Right, one person said about Christianity, it says, you Christians have a religion that seems to make you miserable. <laughs> You're like a man with a headache. You don't want to get rid of your head, but it hurts to keep it. So how can you expect outsiders to ever want to be attracted to something like this? <laughs> but Jesus does. He's proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. That's what we came from in chapter 4. He's going around the countryside. He's talking to the poor. He's talking to the outsiders. He's talking to the religious and non-religious. And he says to those who have no money... Uh, to those who would not be allowed into the temple in Jerusalem and say, this is the blessed life. Blessed are the losers, the weak, the hungry, the poor, the, the people whose life has crushed. You can have a joy that doesn't depend on you and your circumstances. And that's what makes the Beatitudes so beautiful and powerful. Right? Because what Jesus is trying to get us to see is that you and I, counter to everything that we want to do, can turn around and... And not say that suffering is good. Please don't hear that. But you can say in the midst of losing my job, hashtag I'm blessed. You know, God, is, God is good. He is my father. Or you can say in the midst of conflict in your marriage, I'm still blessed. You know, I'm, I'm getting beat up by some addiction, some sin pattern I just can't get out of. I mean, if you are in Christ, you are blessed. Or I'm so depressed I can't get out of bed. This is, this is trying to say, I'll, I'll, you're blessed regardless of your circumstances or you if you are in Christ. 
And if that sounds crazy to you, that's, that's good. I'm trying to make it sound crazy because this is how Jesus' words were first heard. That it's not, you know, the, the good life is not retiring, um, you know, getting the Cadillac, getting the, 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 having everything being successful and comfortable until the end of your days. Right? It's completely opposite. Saying the good life is having God's presence until I see him face to face, regardless of what's going on in my life. And so, as we start the Sermon on the Mount, you got to see the Beatitudes are Jesus' introduction to how you live the Christian life. He's saying you live the Christian life as someone who's blessed before you ever start to get into the intense obedience calls. This is Christianity 101. Jesus says, follow me. He proclaims the good news of the kingdom and says, all right, this is how you follow me. And you get, we have three chapters of some of the most powerful and most enduring teachings of, of any life. All right? And so I hope that encourages you. Because the Sermon on the Mount is not for the people who are up here, like the super, spiritual superheroes, the missionaries of, of old who suffered and lost and still praise God. It's for the ordinary person, anyone who has the kingdom of heaven. And if you have the kingdom of heaven, you're a Christian. And if you're a Christian, you are blessed. And that's what Jesus is describing. Right? And so this, this is my goal this morning. I want to convince you that the Sermon on the Mount beginning with the Beatitudes, is actually good news. And we need to hear the good news before we ever hear what we need to do. Because we're, we're going to spend a couple months talking about what you have to do, so just be patient. You can get through one week. <laughs> right, but this is Jesus. He's saying, follow me. Enter into the kingdom where God is your Father and submit to his reign. And it begins with him giving you blessing. And the hard part for us even just reading it and the way it's taught is we separate the Beatitudes from all the radical commands to obey and we don't know how to connect them. I'm not very good at connecting them. I'm telling you as I studied, I realized I've been reading this wrong. Right? Because Jesus starts his sermon, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And he ends with, Anyone who does not listen to my teaching... When the hurricane comes, the fall is going to be epic and you're not going to be able to stand. If you want to stand when things get bad, obey the words of my teaching. But he begins by telling you who you are before he tells you what you have to do. All right. And so we've got, we got to keep that in mind, that we tend to look at the, even the Beatitudes, the blessings of this is a to-do list, but it's more of a description. All right. It's... It's telling you who you are and what you're like. And there are things that you will do because of who you are, but it's first telling you the good news of the kingdom. Now, I know this is hard because I know how people hear the Sermon on the Mount. There's, there's two general responses to some of Jesus' teaching. If you're not familiar with it, you can go back and read it in light of what I'm telling you. Well, one, I'll just tell you a story. Uh, Virginia... Virginia Stem Owens was a professor in, in uh, Texas A&M, and she was a literature professor. And she was trying to get her students to, to interact with Jesus' teaching. Right? And so she had signed her for incoming freshmen to read Matthew 5 through 7 and just say, what do you think? Just give a response paper. And before I tell you how they responded, you've got to remember, this is Texas. Right? Their belt buckles have Bibles on them. I mean, they are super conservative, 
you would think that their natural morality by virtue of growing up around church would line up with Jesus and what he's saying in the Sermon on the Mount. But here's, a, here's some examples of what they wrote. I did not like the Sermon on the Mount. It was hard to read, and it made me feel like I had to be perfect, and no one is. There's another student. The things asked in this sermon are absurd. To look at a woman as adultery? That is the most stupid, extreme, unhuman thing I've ever heard. Here's another one. The stuff churches preach is extremely strict and almost no fun without thinking it's a sin or not. And another student says, you know, you know that saying, you shouldn't believe everything you read? Yeah, this is one of those things. <laughs> I mean, you see, the, when they read this, they didn't say this is the most beautiful thing that's ever been written. It makes me nauseous. It makes me angry. I'm offended. I don't want to do any of this stuff. I, I can't do it. And it freaked them out. They heard Jesus say, this is the happy life, and if you reject me, your life's going to fall apart. And they said, this is too hard. I'm giving up. And so the first general view of the sermon is, well, it just makes us angry. I can't do it. This is stupid. And you've got to love the innocence of saying Jesus' teaching is, seems foolish. Of course, the other side of it is, is probably more of the audience I'm talking to now, right? If you read the Sermon on the Mount and say, this is, this is beautiful. That if people would actually obey the Sermon on the Mount and, and put these things in practice to love their enemies... Or even just to live by the words of the Beatitude, to be peacemakers. Then a lot of our problems would disappear. And this is John Lewis, a civil rights activist and, and a Democratic representative of Congress. And he just says, if humankind would live by the words of the Beatitudes, the world would finally be at peace with itself. It's one of the most beautiful speeches ever written. Gandhi he says, I read the Sermon on the Mount and it fills me with bliss, even today. And its sweet verses have the power to quench my agony of soul. And you, you read his story of his life, much of what Gandhi did. And being a peacemaker through nonviolence was based off of the ethical teaching of Jesus. So if you got one group of people saying, this is stupid and crazy and I don't want to try because I know I'm going to fail you got this other group saying, this is the most beautiful thing. I wish we could get people to do it. Right? And in the church, I think this is what we feel, that if I could get the Sermon on the Mount down and put it into my life, um, everything would be better. And we look at what Jesus says, this is an all-inclusive checklist. And I want to argue that if you, whether you're on this is great or terrible side of the fence, you're missing the Beatitudes. You're missing the context. That you need to hear the good news of who Jesus says you are before you ever try and put these things in practice. Because right? the Beatitudes, they're, they're the introduction. And the introduction is telling you what's going to come, but it's telling you who you are. Just like, just like the, the, Paul's letters. He never starts his letters by saying um, what you have to do. He just explodes in the gospel and says, this is who you are. You've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. You know, Ephesians 1 to 3, it's nothing but you are, you are, this is who you are in Christ. And, and then when you get to the end, he says, you are in Christ, therefore obey. 
the Beatitudes of the function the same way. That if you hear Jesus' words rightly, how blessed you are, the promise is you can go through a, a literal or metaphorical hurricane and you'll, you'll still be standing in the midst of the trials. It, it'll hurt, but you'll still have a blessing that doesn't depend on you or your circumstances. I, mean, I could put it another way. If you hear Jesus' words properly here in the Beatitudes, Jesus is saying this is the life that people should envy and will envy. Because you're going to be salt and light, and people are going to see your good works, and they're going to give glory to God in heaven for the things that you're doing because of who you are. All right. This is good news. I mean, it says Jesus has been going through all the countryside teaching the good news of the kingdom. We say, I wish I could hear what he's taught, teaching in the synagogues. Matthew says, here, here's the Sermon on the Mount. Here's some samples of what he was teaching. So, how do we get this? How do you find good news in the Beatitudes? Uh, let's, let's look at this. That's the first point. All right, because I... I confess, as I came to the Beatitudes, I looked at the list and I skipped the blessed part and just read the middle because I want to get to the end, right? You want the good parts. You forget what God says in the beginning and say, okay, I got to be poor in spirit. I have to mourn. I have to be meek. I have to be merciful. I have to hunger and thirst for righteousness. And in all of that, you miss out on the most important word, the very beginning of the sentence. Right? And Jesus' point it's not that you have to do these things to get the blessing. He's just describing somebody who has the kingdom, who is blessed. This is the kind of person who wants to keep Christ's commands joyfully. We sang it this morning. To see the law of Christ fulfilled turns a slave into a child, and it turns duty into choice. The kind of person who... You should love their enemies, who's comfortable fighting lust even in their minds. Uh, to always tell the truth regardless of the circumstances. Jesus says it starts with having God's blessing. That you already have his affection, God's acceptance, his favor. That you have everything you need for faith and godliness if you understand what it means to be blessed. And that's the kind of person who will obey. But... Jesus is describing the life inside the kingdom, and so we've got to ask, okay, what is that like? And who are you? Then what do you do? All right, and so to use Jonathan Edwards' famous words from his sermon, Heaven, a World of Love, I mean, you've been brought into this relationship with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, who are united together in an infinite and incomprehensible mutual love for one another. The love that they've had for eternity, you've just you've been sucked in to their eternal blessing and brought in, and they're sharing. They've given it. And that fountain of love, the kingdom of heaven, this is just another way of talking about it, is saying that well, the, experiencing the fountain of love is what you get when you come into the kingdom of heaven, that we are blessed with the presence of God in Christ to share these things. Before we obey. Do you believe that? That you have the fullness of God 
dwelling with you, that you are blessed with every spiritual blessing from heaven, that you have been bought with a price, that you are seated in the heavenly places with Christ above, that you are hidden with him. I mean, that everything Jesus has, you have, is, is the picture of the Beatitudes. I mean, I want to argue that the most dangerous thing you could ever do is tell somebody who's not a Christian to do what Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount. Because you're telling them to climb a mountain they're not physically able to climb. I mean, it really is like saying, here's Everest, I know you, you've, you've lost your feet and you can't walk. You know, climb the mountain. I mean, Jesus knows that. That's why he starts with the Beatitudes. That the kind of person who will desire to live out the, the sermon without being repulsed by its, the extent of the demands or being crushed by it, you have to have God's blessing to even start. And it's for everybody. I, mean, I say that because in the history of the church, people have taken Jesus' teaching and started whole monastic orders dedicated to living this out. And they were... You know, these special superhero Christians that nobody could ever touch because they're more holy than I. And Jesus says, no, this is supposed to be everybody. You are blessed, therefore obey. So the question is, if you are blessed by having the kingdom of heaven, how do you get the kingdom of heaven? And it starts with the first beatitude. Blessed are the poor in spirit. I don't have time to go through all of them, but we can, we can meditate on one because it's the gateway to the rest of them. So what does it mean to be poor in spirit? You know, it doesn't mean that you're so... It doesn't mean you're a coward. And this, is, this is what one commentator put it. It doesn't mean that you lack courage or confidence. All it means is that you have declared utter spiritual blank bankruptcy. That I have absolutely nothing about me to commend myself to God to get into the kingdom, to be poor in spirit. It's not saying that you have to be monetarily poor to get in. That's been confused throughout history as well. It's saying that the poor have a lot to teach us about how to get into the kingdom of heaven. Right? That, that if you don't have, that's what it means to be poor, right? you don't have enough. That's what it means. That's how you enter in. But the kind of person that receives the kingdom of heaven, you have to start by admitting within yourself that I can't get in, not based on my own efforts. Bethany and I had the humbling experience in Mississippi of um, just being poor, living off rice and beans and um, trying to afford school and work, but it, it just wasn't possible. And so after Jonah was born, we found ourselves in the Department of Social Services asking the government for help for food. And what's interesting is how hard it is and how much our pride hates being in that situation and how easy it is to turn around and say, even though I'm here in need of help, I'm not like these other people. <laughs> I mean, in some ways it's true. We weren't. We are from New York. All right, and, and we were in a, in a city that was mostly black. Uh, we, we had a network of family and friends that would support us, that would gladly bail us out if we were in desperate straits. We, weren't, we were poor, but we were not trapped in poverty. And we would look around and see people, single moms, um, 
Just people who, if they graduate high school, it's a win. A surprising win. It's something to celebrate. And Jesus says, this is how you enter into the kingdom, to be trapped in your poverty. That you can't get in up on your own efforts. You can't get out. That the poor teach us how to be given the kingdom. This is the metaphor he uses to describe the Christian life. That I don't have the ability within myself, I don't have the resources to spend to try and be perfect as my heavenly Father is perfect. And this is the good news of the kingdom. It's completely counterintuitive. That all you need to get in is to say, I'm morally and spiritually bankrupt. And then you get an untouchable happiness, something that the world cannot take away from you. Because I know what happens. Most of us, we are. We're middle class in spirit. <laughs> you know what that means? We've got just enough money to get by and do what we want, but not, not enough money to do whatever we want. And so we feel like we're doing okay as long as we compare ourselves to others. But if you read the rest of Jesus' sermon, he doesn't give you that option. That's the whole point. Of, one of the main points of the Sermon on the Mount is to show you your spiritual poverty. Because right? Jesus says, you want to get into the kingdom of heaven by your own efforts, you have to be more neurotic about perfection than the Pharisees and scribes. And that if you are, you still haven't gotten in, you're on your way. See, to be, to be poor in spirit means I can't do it. That I have nothing to offer God. We can't buy off his justice with our efforts. I mean, our resume, this is it's the only place in the world where you can submit your resume. And on it says, I can't do the job, please let me in. <laughs> it's not going to work anywhere else. Everywhere else we're trying to sell the best version of ourselves. And the gospel turns it around and says, all right, submit your resume and say you're a failure. You can't do it. And you'll find yourself blessed beyond your imagination. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You see, if you hear the extent of Jesus' commands, this is the whole point. It's, it's designed to humble us into the dust so that we don't ever think we can pull ourselves up by our own efforts, our own bootstraps, and to not compare ourselves with others because as soon as you compare yourself to the one that really matters, a holy God, you're going to run away in anger, in fear, and defeated. It has to be a gift. It's the same teaching in the, the Old Testament. Who does God bless? Gideon. The guy who's scared. Right? He's, he's doing his harvest hiding in a wine vat. And God comes to him and says, Oh, look, here's, here's a man of valor, a man of courage. And Gideon just turns around and says, who am I? I'm a nobody of nobodies. I'm from the least tribe in our, in our country. Why would you ever use somebody like me? That's, that's our default mode. Right, or Isaiah, the moment he sees God, he just falls down at his feet. And a man who uses words for a living, proclaiming good news about God, says, I've never said anything good in my life. I'm undone. Woe is me. These are the people God blesses. This is the nature of the gospel. And we heard it from, 
from Brian. It was such a powerful illustration of, of seeing the heartbeat come back from, from death. And that's how Paul describes salvation, that the dead, those who were dead in their trespasses and sins were made alive in Christ, and that we have been saved by grace alone so that no man may boast. It's a gift. It's not of your doing. I mean, the ultimate insult and comfort of the gospel is that the one who was rich, Jesus Christ, the perfect one, came down and made himself poor, made himself sin on our behalf, so that we might become rich and righteous in him. Be given the kingdom of heaven. I mean, even later, Jesus will say, Fear not, little flock, it is your Father's good pleasure to just give you the kingdom. So what are you so anxious about? So maybe this will help change your, your idea of the church. The church is, is like God's Department of Social Services, <laughs> where we proclaim every week that the only thing you need to get God's help, His grace, is to say you need help. And that, that's the idea. You come to Him and say, I am poor and needy, weak and sore and bru bruised and wounded. And the kingdom comes. And when you go through the Beatitudes, this is how blessing comes. You mourn over the fact you've offended a holy God, and you find comfort. You realistically approach God's picture of the good life, and actually start to care even about your thoughts and how God sees them. Right? You, you hunger and thirst for righteousness. Um, you're meek. You're okay with not being the center of the universe. find yourself solely committed to, to God and his kingdom and you actually get to see God or because you're so secure in God's love you'll find that people can hate you and you'll be okay with it I mean this is this is the good life according to Jesus the good news of the Beatitudes is you have all of this that before you and I ever try and get the blessing of heaven you have to see it has to be a gift and so let me ask you do the Beatitudes describe you even just the first one. Are you poor in spirit? Or maybe, I'll turn it around. Maybe this will help you. Listen to the anti-beatitudes, anti-blessing. Right, woe to the independent, those wealthy in spirit who think they can do life on their own because you're going to get nothing from heaven. Or woe to those who laugh at the idea of sin for they shall always be nagged and plagued by their guilt and shame. They will find no comfort. Woe to the arrogant, for they will lose everything at death. Woe to those who wish they were perfect, for they will never get there. They'll never see it. Woe to the judgmental, judgmental, for they shall be judged. Or woe to the filthy in heart, they'll never see God. Woe to the troublemakers, for they won't be sons of God, they'll be sons of Satan. Woe to those who are ashamed of Jesus, as he says, I'll be ashamed of you. You're starting to get this picture, right? The Beatitudes describe you as a person in Christ. The kind of person that Jesus is in the, the process of turning you into. But it starts with admitting your spiritual poverty. And you will find that you have a happiness that doesn't depend on you. <laughs> now, do you see the good news yet? I mean, I know I'm beating this, this horse pretty good. 
I mean, it gets better, right? I, mean, I know when you come to the Beatitudes, we automatically look at ourselves and say, how am I doing? And you remember the slideshow that we saw at the talent, at the talent show a couple weeks ago that Mike Mayu put together for us. You know, all the 12, 12 minutes of pictures of 12 months in the life of our church. And who did you look for when you were watching the pictures? I'm guessing it wasn't you're the person sitting next to you. you. You want to know what you look like and what people are seeing. And do I look bad? Do I look good? How goofy am I? Right. And we do the same thing when it comes to the Beatitudes. How am I doing? But if the Beatitudes are a picture of the good life, of someone to, to live up to, to envy, uh, the kind of person who has the kingdom of heaven, you've got to see that it's not first about us, it's first about Christ. That Ian, uh, Ian DeGood, he, it's his name of his book, it's called The Hero of the Beatitudes, The Hero of Heroes. And he goes through and shows you that the only one who's ever been blessed by God, by being poor in spirit, uh, through mourning, through hunger and thirsting, hungering and thirsting for righteousness, through being persecuted for God's sake. It's not us, it's Jesus. Because that's what blessed means. If you, it, there's, a, there's a happiness side to it, but there's also a side, if you have God's blessing, this is something I want. I want to be like that. You know? you know, the old commercials, be like Mike. It's uh, to be blessed, to be like Christ. And the only person to ever earn God's blessing is Jesus himself. I mean, why can you and I admit our spiritual poverty? Because Jesus, the King of Kings, who was rich, became poor for our sakes to make us kings in him. Why do we find comfort? Because Jesus mourned and groaned over our sin, over sinners. But he also did so alone in the darkness on the cross. How do messed up people like us actually inherit the earth? You know, the people who aren't meek. Because Jesus was meek. He was like a lamb silenced before its shearers. Like a lamb to the slaughter, he, he went to the cross. He was slaughtered in our place. Why do we have our hunger and thirst for perfection satisfied? Because Jesus was perfect. And he turns around and says, here, you now have my record of obedience. All because Jesus said, I thirst on the cross. Longing for God in a moment that made no sense whatsoever because he was going to get no blessing out of it. Right. Why are we shown mercy? Because Jesus prayed, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. How do we actually see God? Because Jesus was, this is what pure in heart means, solely devoted, wholeheartedly devoted to God. Jesus was pure and devoted, and he, all he saw was darkness on the cross so that we could see God. Why are we called sons of God? Because the son, the good son, the perfect son, our older brother, earned our inheritance for us. Why can we deal with the rejection and hatred of this world? Because we have the permanent acceptance of the only eyes that matter, our God and Father. He says, you have a kingdom that is not of this world. You actually have stuff in heaven that's just waiting for you. It's bought and paid for. You have a home. So they can take everything from you. You'll get it back even a hundredfold if you would be faithful. Right? This is the good life. You're not being called to do anything that Christ himself 
has not already done. And because he's already done it, he says, you are blessed through faith in me. You can see why people are repulsed by this sermon, can't you? I mean, Jesus sets the bar so high that if you don't admit your spiritual poverty, you're going to run away in anger, or you're always going to, you're not going to be poor in spirit, you're just going to be depressed. You're going to be down. You're going to be an Eeyore. But because we're blessed, right, we are being given the resources to, to approach obedience in a, in a way that doesn't crush us. You can say, okay, I'm having these terrible thoughts. I don't even know where they come from sometimes. I want to get rid of them, and I know that regardless, I know that because I'm in Christ, and I am declared righteous, I can fight this knowing there's no condemnation. You're brought into a world where it's safe to fight. But to get there, you have to see our hero, the hero of heroes, Christ himself, who obeyed in our place, who became poor, who groaned, who was meek, who emptied himself of all but love, so that you can say, nothing, nothing in my hand I bring, simply to the cross I cling. This is the Christian life. A blessing that doesn't depend on you or your circumstances. And I hope it rewrites your bucket list. Because <laughs> it's saying... This is what makes Jesus' sermon so powerful. You read the beginning in light of the end. He's saying the hurricane will come. The rain will fall. Your house will be battered. And the only way it'll stand is if you have a blessing that, that is outside of you, a righteousness that is foreign to you. Someone else who says in love, you are mine and I will, I will carry you the whole way. And so Jesus' invitation in the Beatitudes as he says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He says, come to me, all who are weary, and receive a happiness that doesn't depend you on your circumstances. And don't be afraid, for it's God's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. So go and learn what that means. Let's pray. You know, Father, we just get a big overview of how, how your grace works. And I pray that even as we go through the, the Sermon on the Mount in the next couple months, that we would never forget that you have made us blessed through our hero, Christ. And so may we envy him and seek to be like him as he has given us the kingdom uh, through our faith. And so I pray, Lord, that you would, for those who are intimidated, who are prone, who have, who have weak and tender consciences, that they would hear the good news of the gospel and the world in which we approach obedience. And for those of us who are suffering, uh, that we would hear, blessed are those who mourn, for we, we shall be comforted. And we look forward to the taste of heaven that you give us right now and, and pray that you would do that even, even as we leave these walls and go out into the world as your witnesses. So may we proclaim the wonders of your blessing to a world that's dying and, and desperately looking for it. In Jesus' name, amen.